Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It doesn't feel good to be uncomfortable. We all know that. If you are ever at a point in your workout where you're like, this is easy. I could have a full-on conversation with my friend. That wasn't so bad. You didn't work hard enough. some beach body workouts before obviously with uh kind of back in the day i think it was around a decade ago p90x was like the the seems like the flagship product or at least it was with with tony horton i believe his name was uh seems like all of my friends were doing it and now there's all these different programs that have existed um so i'm really excited to dig in with you and, and kind of learn a little bit more about your story how you got into fitness um you know would love to kind of dig into how that journey started for you and how did you stumble upon into becoming one of the you know biggest fitness names out there yeah it's like i said it's really been more of a of a lifetime of hard work i have always been a super active person i've had a lot of struggles in my life i talk about a lot of these in my new book lose weight like crazy even if you have a crazy life because one of my first struggles was when I was five years old. So I woke up one day and couldn't walk and no, nobody knew what was wrong with me. I was rushed to the hospital. I spent a week in the hospital. Um, lots and lots of tests run on me. I'll say that. And obviously I overcame it. Here I am today. So clearly I am able to walk, but it even overcoming those obstacles even started way back then. Like when I was a little girl and didn't really know what life had in store for me. But I could tell you that at five years old, I knew I wanted to dance. Um, at five years old, I was begging my dad to sign me up for dance lessons. And because of this injury that I had, uh, the answer was no. And it was no when I was six and seven and eight and nine and 10. And the answer wasn't yes until I was 13. So I was really behind the eight ball in terms of being a competitive dancer. But think even though my technique wasn't as good as the other girls, my passion was probably stronger than anybody's in any class I've ever stepped foot in. So that has always been a huge motivating driving force for me. If there's something I'm truly passionate about, if there's something I truly love, I will fight to the nail to make it happen. Uh, that's really how I ended up in the, in the health and the fitness industry, because along that journey of wanting to be a competitive dancer, dealing with an injury, sustaining more injuries, ending up with a bulging disc in my lower spine, leaving college as a dance major a semester early because my ballet master let me know he was never going to cast me in the final show, which means I would never graduate with a degree. It was all these things that I, I kept. It seemed like it seemed like the universe was like it doesn't matter how bad you want it you no 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 or or I was being tested to say how bad do you really want it because I'm going to keep putting an obstacle in front of you and do you want it still do you want it still do you want it still um and so when I realized I wasn't going to be a professional dancer anymore and I had tried my hand at a few other career paths um I did find my way to fitness. I had been a dance teacher along the way, but it got to a point where I didn't want to teach dance. It was just too personal. It was a little too painful. It struck too close to the heart for what I had experienced and everything I had gone through and the disappointments I had sustained. So that's how I ended up finding my way to fitness. It was like, I wanted, I didn't want to sit at a desk all day. I, I just knew that wasn't for me. I needed to be active and I really loved helping people. Right. That led me to go, okay, let me get my first certification. And what did you mean that you couldn't walk before when you were first starting the story? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not giving the full story because it no. is in my book. 
comes out next week. But I woke up, I went to bed one night complaining that my hip hurt. I went to bed having played like all day, been playing all day with my brother and my sister. And I kept saying my hip hurts, my hip hurts. And the next morning, my mom woke us up to get us ready for school. I think I was in kindergarten and I went to get out of bed and I fell like just my legs collapsed under me and I was screaming in pain because I couldn't walk. Like there was something wrong with my hip. And um, so, yeah, I was rushed to the hospital. I was in the hospital for a week. I had every test known to man run on me. And uh, like I said, I'm not giving the full, full story because it is, it's actually a major chapter in the book and how I overcame that and what exactly happened. But, but if I, like the long and short is we don't have an answer. We don't know why I couldn't walk. And how long, and, how long could you walk for? This is when you were dancing as well? No, I was five. You were five. I, I had, okay. Five. I hadn't even started dancing yet. Um, I was in the hospital for a week. They sent me home on crutches. I was probably on crutches for another couple of weeks and slowly but surely the pain went away. So probably a good three weeks of not knowing, not knowing if, if I was going to walk again, if it was going to come back because we didn't have answers. We didn't know what could re-trigger it, which is why my parents would, it wasn't like they kept me in a bubble. It wasn't like they said like, you can't be a kid, but they were very hesitant to let me do sports, gymnastics, dance class, anything that could be more strenuous than the average, like running around, riding a bike kind of thing. Yeah. Given how serious the injury was, do you feel it even as you were growing up or even today as an adult that some of those injuries could still impact the way you move or the way you train, anything like that? Or is it completely? No, they absolutely still do. It's actually probably why I'm such a stickler on form. Um, I believe very much in functional training. Like I'm not one for the, I call it the trick training, right? Where like you see these people on Instagram and they're doing like crazy looking moves. And while they look really cool, I will look at it from the point of view of like, but how does that benefit me? Like, why, why do I need to be able to do that move? Like, how does that benefit everyday life? And if it doesn't, I'm like, super cool. Like they definitely have strength, but I am a trainer that is all about functionality because I want my body to feel good for as long as I live. So that's yeah. really, I train. Yes. I want the aesthetics and I want the health benefits and everything, but I really want the functionality of my body. Um, and I have to be a stickler for form. Otherwise my back will go out like that. And if my back goes out, if that bulging disc slips, that's a good 10 days. I'm down. Yeah, I mean, I've had friends that have gotten injuries because they followed some influencer on Instagram. I don't think it was even an influencer. It was just an instructional video that someone did. And he got injured because he was trying, he was already injured a little bit. And I guess it was like some crazy exercise that was, uh, that the video had. It's kind of a confusing place because these influencers, it seems like the, um, I'm obviously I'm not putting you in that into that category. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that are putting out content around fitness and health. And it seems like it's this looping cycle where they try to find content that do very well in terms of engagement. And they try to replicate that content because they've seen other people do it. But it's not necessarily what's known to be the best in terms of the best fitness exercise, the best form. Uh, but it's a lot of it is just kind of putting out information that gets a lot of likes or gets a lot of reshares. Uh, it, it, it is a kind of a confusing time for you, I imagine as well. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting place that we're in, in the fitness industry now with the emergence of social media. So when I started, um, when I started with Beachbody seven and a half years ago, Instagram was just, I don't, Instagram was just barely a thing, but nobody really knew like what they were doing with Instagram yet. Facebook had been around, but it was still more about just communicating with your friends. They weren't these business platforms that they are now. The infomercial business ruled all. That's what it was. It was infomercials. And so not everybody could be a fitness expert, right? Not every single person that exercised was a fitness expert. Well, now with obviously our smartphones and social media and things like that, Anybody who, you know, does a jumping jack calls themselves a fitness expert 
And it's unfortunate because so much information is getting put out there that is not accurate, that is not safe. And there's still a lot of phenomenal information and phenomenal workouts out there, but you have to know you have to know who you're looking at. You have to know who you're following. It's real. I always tell people it's really important to do your research. Like just because you see somebody doing something cool on Instagram or Facebook, I wouldn't say go try to do that thing right away. What I would say is I would go look them up. I would go look up their credentials. What's their background? You know, what training have they had? What deems them an expert to train you? And if you can't find anything, I probably wouldn't follow them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel it's evolved from not, you know, before the social media days to how it is now? Because I, I would imagine that beforehand, at least there were some barriers to entry. So if you saw someone on TV, you know, they've been vetted, you know, they I mean, not necessarily, but you know, they at least have some sort of credentials that that gives them the platform to be on there like a Tony Hortons or, or yourself. Whereas now it seems like almost anyone that's kind of studied physical therapy or, or you know, uh, went to school for that can just go up and, and build a name for themselves. And, and that's a great opportunity for a lot of people, but it can be a very confusing time, it seems. If somebody's gone to school and they've studied kinesiology that are, or physical therapy or something along those lines, then they're absolutely qualified to be talking about it. It's the person who has been out there who maybe just works out in the gym and sees people doing cool things and they come back and they mimic it. Or maybe even somebody who's been an athlete, so they've been trained by somebody else, but they don't totally understand the mechanics behind it, and then they start putting out stuff. So, yes, like you said, when when you used to see somebody on TV, there was a point of entry where they had already been vetted. Beachbody reigns supreme. I still believe we reign supreme, and I don't say that just because that's who I'm with. I still think that in terms of the quality of content – and and the vetting process and all of that 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 we are a step well we are a large leap above a lot of the apps that are out there because now anybody can create an app right it used to be in order to be successful in the dvd world you had to have a certain amount of financing and funding to be able to do it and you're on tv so you have to have you have to go through certain steps to make sure you don't get sued Right. You can't just say this person's an expert when they have no training or anything like that, because if they get injured, you can get sued. Now, everybody out there has an app that. You know, they're not really looking into what's the background and what's the like what what the background is, what the training is. So it, it is it's a different time. That's why I tell people, you know, know your trainer make sure you know who you're following and and why you're following them what what are your goals what are you looking to accomplish from them the thing about fitness that's fascinating is there's just so many components to it right there's the psychology aspect which is so huge there is the genetics there is what you're putting into your body diet and nutrition there's like the proper form the the exercises there's just so many components that it can be a very confusing thing for someone that is just getting into that world and it's not like the typical lives that most people leave which is the nine to five you show up at your door you kind of do your things that you've been instructed to do and you get paid a salary it just there's so many factors that can can deliver results for an individual and it's all different so following one person that has the most followers uh, just because they're getting a lot of views hoping that it's going to get the same results for you is just insane to me and it, it, it leads to yeah. a lot of people being disappointed when it comes down to to you know the, the after the 90-day struggle that they've had um but you know with with Beachbody I, I agree it is a bit more there's definitely the brand aspect to it but you know I'd love to know what the process is for you guys to go through creating a curriculum from scratch, a curriculum or a program from scratch, like what goes in behind understanding the psychology of a typical person that's trying to get fit and how do you guys design the program to help people stay motivated? Yeah, well, that's something that, you know, you said it right there is that if somebody wants results, you really need to follow a program. It's not just being like, Oh my God, this person put up five moves today and I'm going to do these five moves. 
if you really truly want results, then you really truly should be following a program. An athlete follows a program their coach sets for them. Um, a dancer steps into a dance class and has a teacher having a plan, having a game plan. Here's what we need to work on technique, form, blah, 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 before we ever get ready for competition. You know, so, so you need a program and that's what we do at Beachbody. We create programs. We're not just saying like, here's a cool move, go do it. And there's also the reason we have as many trainers as we do, because it's not a one size fits all and not everybody has the same goal and people are at different places in their fitness journey. Each one of us trainers motivates in our own unique way. So somebody that resonates with me may or may not resonate with Tony Horton or Shanti and somebody that resonates with Shanti may or may not resonate with me. And that's, that's why you have a variety. We have beginner and intermediate and advanced programs. We have weight training programs and cardio programs and dance programs and bar programs. And we have all this because there really truly is something for everybody. And it is, it's a process. It's usually a year in the making from start to finish from the time, from the time, you know, we sit down with our CEO and he determines, okay, I'm ready for you to do your next program. It's very collaborative. It's not singular. It's not me writing. It's not me doing it all by myself. I will say this. I write my workout programs. I will say that I absolutely write my workout programs start to finish, but I have a team. We have a fitness and nutrition team with registered dietitians that I work on my nutrition program with. We have other fitness experts because two minds are always better than one, right? So, so while I write the whole thing, I will always turn to my team and be like, but what do you think about this? Do we like this or do we like this? Is that, you know, is this going to progress properly or is it going to be too hard? Um, you know, we take into account who are we writing the program for before I ever start writing a program. It's, is this a beginner program? Is this intermediate? Is this advanced? Because that's telling you how to design the program, how to write the periodization, how to progress it. Even that determines a little bit of the motivation that I'm giving during the workouts. The motivation is not predetermined. Uh, when I film my workouts, I film start to finish with everybody. Like when they're out of breath, I'm out of breath. So a lot of the motivation is coming from the fact that I'm experiencing all the same things that they're experiencing as well. And I just want to keep them going. Like, let's go, we can do it. We're going to do it together. So we have a, we have a very long detailed step-by-step process, but, but each program, um, it's not cookie cutter in any way. It's not like, okay, just plug and play. It's, it's very unique to each trainer. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy when I see you guys do the training with the people. Because sometimes you guys, you guys often have actual people, whether they're actors or actual people doing the exercise with you, and you guys are trying to motivate them. You guys are talking while you're actually doing the exercise. I mean, I can't even imagine <laughs> how difficult it is just to be able to like remember what you need to say while you're doing the exercises itself. So, I mean, if you guys are getting paid the big bucks, I think you guys definitely deserve it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Now, what are some of the, um, the, the mistakes or some of the biggest mistakes you've trained so many people throughout your uh, personal trainer career and also as a, as, a, as a more of a coach now for people that are uh, where you're reaching millions of people in this case? But what are some of the biggest faults or mistakes that you often see people make when it comes to fitness uh, and nutrition? When it comes to fitness, I think the biggest thing I, I see people do is think they can do the same thing over and over again and keep making progress. So regardless of if they're doing one of my fitness programs or somebody else's or going to the gym, uh, you know, when I was a trainer at the gym, I would see people come into that gym every day and I'd watch them do like the same five moves with the same weight every day. And I'm like, don't you wonder why you're not making like isn't it obvious why you're not getting any further? Like every day you step in here, you do bicep curls, then you do shoulder presses, and then you go over to the leg machine and you do a couple leg presses, and then you go on the treadmill and you walk for a few minutes and do that. Like, of course you're not making progress. I mean, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing, but it's not a balanced program. So that's one thing I see is people just not understanding the benefit of an actual program and not understanding the benefit of pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone. It doesn't feel good to be uncomfortable. We all know that. If you are ever at a point in your workout where you're like, this is easy. I could have a full-on conversation with my friend. That wasn't so bad. You didn't work hard enough. 
And I see it a lot. I'll see people be like, oh, I don't understand. I'm working out so hard. And I'm like, mm, I will give tough love. I'll do it nicely. But I'll be like, but are we? But are, are we work? Could you have done more? Could you have lifted a little more? Could you have pushed a little bit harder? So I think that's a big mistake is that is that we think we can do the same thing over and over and still keep making progress. Is that the main um, difference of like a program versus someone that's just kind of winging it is the variety of different muscle groups that you're able to work out instead of just doing like, for example, like my brother right now, he's doing 50 pushups a day for the last three months. I don't see that much of a result. He said he's more lean. <laughs> he feels better. He, he has more energy, I guess, which is great. I don't see much of a result physically. I didn't want to tell him that. But it's it's is that the idea that he's just gotten so used to doing 50 push-ups of the same exercise that your body is just so used to it? Yeah. Well, one, I mean, there was probably a period where he was obviously making progress when he first started 50 push-ups. It was probably quite hard. If he's been doing it for three months, he can probably bang them out in a much shorter period of time. With that, is he moving his body? Yes. Great. But what else is he doing? He's actually probably going to set himself up for overtraining one muscle group while not training any others. So his chest, his arms, and his core might be stronger. But now his back isn't getting trained and all of this is getting overtrained. and we already sit at computers and sit on our phones. So really what he's doing is pulling everything more forward. So now you're pulling your spine out of alignment more, which it's not that that's because pushups are bad. It's because we didn't balance out the training with saying, okay, well, I did 50 pushups, but I also did 50 pull-ups. So I hit the front and the back of my body. And I see people do that a lot. Like I said, where they'll do, okay, you know, it's the squat challenge and every single day they're squatting and it's like, okay, well, it, it's your body weight. So that's really not, if it's, if it is your body weight, you're not holding any weight. That's not, it's only going to go so far, but also there's a lot of ways to train your legs to tone your quads, lift your butt. Uh, so we get caught up in these gimmicks that we see in the magazines or the things that we see on social media. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to push up challenge and squat challenge and da da. And it's like, well, we have to challenge the, the body as a whole. Everything's connected. So we need to work it all. We don't have to work it all every day, but we have to have a balance in everything that we do. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the, the biggest thing about the program is just the, it just, you don't need to think as much just because it's laid out for you. It's kind of like eating as well. You know, you don't, when you, when you have to figure out, you go home, you just dread making dinner because you have no idea what you're going to be able to make, right? You got to pull up all these <laughs> different ingredients in your refrigerator. You're like, all right, can I like make a pad thai with this? Whereas a program is all laid out for you. So you just like tick a box, you go through it and you don't have to worry whether it's effective and you don't have to worry about designing it as well. So that burden that less burdened psychology aspect of it i feel is so powerful as well oh yeah like when you feel like you're go when you feel like okay if i if i do this and i really follow it i know i should see results i think that's a huge motivator for people to go in there and be like okay great let me get it done and it is the same way like you were saying when it comes to nutrition first of all i'm with you that's why i have my nutrition program ultimate portion fix because I don't want to tell people what they have to eat, right? Like nobody wants to be told you have to have eggs for breakfast every day. We want variety. So for me, I design a nutrition program around just having balance. Same thing again. I'm a big proponent of balance, balance, macronutrients, portion control. So we're not overeating or undereating on any one food group. And then, you know, really reducing the amount of highly, highly processed foods that we eat because that is really important. But the biggest, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make outside of the just traditional American diet that is terrible. Like if I had to really hone in on something, I would say it's more our mindset around food. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, I, I deserve, I deserve to eat this. I should be allowed to eat this. And I'm like, well, nobody's stopping you. Nobody's saying you don't deserve, like, like they want, I deserve to eat the whole bag of cookies. I should be allowed to eat the whole bag of chips. And I'm like, well, there's no person out there telling you you're not allowed to do that. But science is science. So like, just know that there's ramifications to eating the entire bag of cookies or the entire bag of chips, right? So that we get stuck in this like struggle with ourselves of like, 
Well, because I want more, like I'm pissed off that I, if I eat more, it's going to make me gain weight. Like that's just fact. Like that's just Mm. how it's going to be. So we have to adjust our mindset where it's more like food is fuel. Hey, I want cookies. Great. Eat a couple cookies, enjoy them and then move on. But like, let's get past the point of feeling like you're owed the bag of cookies because you had a hard day or you're owed the bottle of wine because work is stressful or life is stressful right now. And we have to think about it more as like what I put in my body is literally determining the makeup, the composition of my body. It's determining what my cells do. It's determining how everything else functions. So what do you really, what does your body really deserve? Your body deserves the best. Your body doesn't deserve to be punished with the fake unhealthy food. It's just, it's the mindset shift that needs to happen. Why do you think there is this prevalence of emotional eating in particularly in in the US? Um, I've noticed that. I mean, I've lived in Mexico and different parts of Latin America and it doesn't seem for sure it exists, particularly around younger teens, but it's not as prevalent as it is in the US. It seems. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's really something that unfortunately we're being taught in so many different ways in our life, right? So like we could look at commercials and advertising. I mean, in Europe, you're not even allowed to advertise to kids. Whereas our commercials are trying to hook kids on junk food from the time they are itty bitty. You know, our cereals have cartoon characters and they're these bright colors and, and your favorite person is slapped on the cover of a cereal box and things like that. So we're, we're being told like, look, this is fun. Eat this. Um, so our youth is being trained that way. We are taught at a very young age and I don't know exactly when it started happening, Uh, But food started to be used as a reward, right? Like, oh, you did so good at your baseball game. Let's all have donuts. And it's, you know, eight o'clock in the morning or, um, you know, you did great in school. Let's go out for pizza and whatever. And none of these things are bad in moderation. But we start to teach ourselves, hey, when I do good, I deserve a reward of food or Oh, honey, you had a hard day at school. I'm so sorry. Let's go get ice cream to cheer you up. So we're being taught young that this is how we manage the problem. And that's just not. It's not how we manage. It's not how we manage our emotions. No amount of junk food will fill a void if you're dealing with some emotional trauma. No amount of alcohol is going to do it. You know, if you're celebrating, great, celebrate, have a cocktail. But why do we have to have so much that we are hungover and can't function the next day? But it's just something that I I don't know when it happened exactly, but it started to be trained into us. And we're at a point now where we have to train it out of ourselves. And that requires looking deep within and getting a little uncomfortable. And not everybody likes to do that. So it's, it's a process. We're also fighting an uphill battle. I'll say that because the food here in America, it's not the same as the food in Canada and Europe. Like, like they have, you guys have much stricter laws on your food than we do. Like why can, why can Kraft make their boxed macaroni and cheese one way here in the U S with yellow number five in it, but it's illegal to make it that way in Europe. And so they don't make it that way in Europe. Like, why do we get the crap ingredient, but they don't? We, unfortunately, our food has been monetized and politicized so much that it's, it does. It makes us fight an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard, given how powerful the sugar industry is, that they did a campaign around why fat is so bad for our bodies. And this was like the whole idea of, people thinking that all fat is bad, but there's good fat and, and bad fat, obviously, uh, because they were trying to, you know, savor the sugar industry. And just that's just how powerful it is. And imagine that's translated to commercials, media campaigns, all these different things, lobbyists, that's how the legal legal uh, battles have been won, I guess. And yeah, I guess I guess it is 
I guess it is an uphill battle, but there is ways to educate people now to continue to eat better. I mean, I don't know if you know Jesse Itzler. She, he's the husband of oh, uh, yeah. Sarah, Sarah Blakely. <laughs> I love seeing him call out. And I, maybe you've seen it, seeing him call out oh, yeah. these people on Instagram where he takes a picture of like a cereal box and it says number one doctor recommended or something like that. And he's like, whoever can call me out and prove that this is the number one doctor recommended cereal. I'll donate five hundred thousand dollars to your favorite charity. And he just does it every single week. It's so yes. funny. Uh, yeah, or when he like calls them out to like, uh, you know, I'll give you a million dollars to eat your own food for a week. And he's like, "Will you do it?" Yes, I love when he does that. It, <laughs> it, because you're just like, are they? Are they going to do it? Probably not. Yeah, obviously, no one reaches out, right? Uh, it's, it's you're right. <laughs> Um, but it, it is a huge problem, you know, especially with, with, with the food industry. I mean, how do, how do you, and how can we educate people to fight against this uphill battle, whether you live in the U S or whether you live in Canada, it's still going to be uh, a battle that you're facing. So how can people go against that trend and, and eat better in their daily lives? Yeah. Look, we vote with our dollar. That's the bottom line is like what you spend your money on is what is going to be produced more of. So you can guarantee that the healthy, the whole foods, the food in its whole form, that's going to be the best version for you. I would for the most part, I, I also you know, try to say get as much organic as possible. So we're not dealing with the pesticides on top of it. But the second things start coming in a box, the second they start having a significantly long shelf life, um, the second you start reading a list of ingredients that you have no idea what they are, that's probably something you should avoid for the most part, right? Like you don't walk into the produce section and see a label on grapes or bananas or potatoes or kale. Like there's no list that it just is. And you know where that came from. It grew from the earth. You know, you know what chicken is, you know what fish is like, it's when you start seeing these ingredients and you're just like, what, what is monopoly something, you know, seven syllables long. And you're like, where do I find that on the grocery store shelf? You won't because it's chemical that hmm. has to be made in a laboratory. So this is why I don't tell people like you can't have dessert or things like that. I just say, maybe make it at home. So at least you know the ingredients that are in it, right? I love a good cookie, but I prefer to make it at home or I prefer to at least go to like a good bakery that I know and get it from there. So I know what's in it. I know I'm not getting the additives and the preservatives and hopefully not the food dyes and things like that. So it's not like a complete massive overhaul that you have to do, but it is little tweaks that go a really long way. Um, We've gotten very much away from home cooking. I mean, going out to any kind of restaurant or fast food place for when I was a kid, that was a treat. That did not happen very often. You ate at home and you ate what your parents made. And, you know, your parents, more often than not, I think, did a pretty good job on a home cooked meal. And now, and I battle this with my son. It's like, I can't, every night my son asks me for Postmates. I mean, we don't do it, but he, mom, can we Postmate? Mom, can we Postmate? And I'm like, where do you get that this is a thing that we do? Like, it's like so easy we could Postmate right? everyone. Yeah, but in his mind, he's like, well, I want that's not. And I'm like, well, mm. I made dinner, so that's what we're eating. Man, if someone made me yeah. dinner every night, I would not be complaining. Forget Postmates. Right? Jesus, I'm tired of I'm, making my own meals. Same. I wish my parents were still making me dinner. <laughs> well, there's also all these like fad diets, right? Right. I mean, I've, I've, I think I've seen an interview about you talking about the keto diet, uh, which, which you know, is is getting more popular these days. Um, are you on any particular like regimens in terms of diets, or what's kind of your values and philosophy around these? fad diets that are coming out. I hate the word diet. I hate fad diets. Um, diets are stupid, you guys. Like, let me, like, let me just be really blunt. Here's the thing. If it's a diet, it's a restrictive way of eating. And are you really going to be able to sustain it? Now, I want to back that up and just say this. The ketogenic diet was designed for a reason. It's designed for people with a medical need people with seizures, people that have um, diabetes. So if you have a medical need to be on a restricted type of diet, that is one thing. 
And that you should absolutely be following that diet if that's what your doctor has recommended. Absolutely. That's about your health. But when people are saying, oh, I'm following ketogenic because I'm afraid of carbohydrates or I'm going to lose weight or by doing this, if they're only doing it as this lose weight fast, quick way of doing things, it's a terrible idea. First of all, we like, since when did fruit get villainized? Since when is like fruit bad for us? There's so many good things in fruit that we need. Now I'm not telling you to go overeat on fruit, but I wouldn't go tell you to go even overeat on kale either. I would tell you, you need a balance of it, but all of a sudden, you know, whole foods are bad. Potatoes are bad and quinoa is bad. And, and these foods have phytonutrients that we need and vitamins and minerals that we need and fiber that we need. And all of a sudden we're cutting out all of it. And we don't realize the havoc that we're actually truly wreaking on our body because all we're doing is looking for a quick fix to get skinny. And it shouldn't, shouldn't be about that. People might think that's what I'm about. It's absolutely not what I'm about. I say all the time, look, a six pack is fun, but that's not what it's about. That should be an afterthought back here. It should be about your health. Because the second you make it about something more than the way your body looks, something superficial about like the way I look, and you make it about the, I want to be healthy, I want to avoid disease for as long as possible in this life that I'm living, when you make it about that, that's when it's much easier to make a healthy choice. All you have to do is look at, you know, if you're sitting there looking at the box of cookies or looking at fruit and saying, I'm craving something sweet and say, which one is actually better for me? It should be pretty easy to pick the fruit knowing that that is going to fuel you and and help you lead this healthy life. And those cookies aren't really going to do anything other than give you a hit of sugar, a hit of dopamine, and then it's going to wear off. And where are you going to be in 10 minutes? Probably yeah. craving more sugar. Yeah, the, the keto diet is, I mean, I have, I have a lot of friends of mine that I've tested. I've tested it out myself. And as an Asian that grew up with rice, let me tell you, this is one of the hardest things I've had to experiment with. I really had no particular reason to do it. And I, and I it took me a while to realize, I actually had David Asprey on, who was a very big component of, of ketogenic diet. But I'm still not convinced personally of the long-term effects of like our health, our heart disease that comes from eating just all that amount of meat and fat. I'm just not convinced of it. It seems like it's a relatively new science that has not been tracked over time. And it's interesting, obviously, you know, you just said growing up at your Asian, you're used to eating rice. You have certain gut bugs, healthy gut bugs, healthy bacteria in your gut that they thrive on that. Like we don't stop to think about really like the ecosystem that happens in us and on us. But yeah, people in Asia have different gut microbiome than people in Africa and people in Africa have a different gut biome than people in Canada and America. Like we all, because we grew up eating different ways and all of a sudden you try to completely change the way you're eating and your, your body doesn't know how to handle that necessarily, right? Like if you don't have that medical reason, right? You don't have diabetes, you don't have seizures or a brain condition that requires you to be on a ketogenic diet your body probably thrives having rice in your diet. So taking it away, all of a sudden you're starving these good gut bacteria that, that are used to getting that nutrient, that are used to getting that fiber and things like that. So it goes so much deeper. And that's really what I want people to understand is it goes so much deeper than this, let me just lose weight mm. thing that we're all stuck on. Um, yeah, that's, that's uh, gut health is a big one for me that I like to talk about a lot because it's it's an emerging science. But the more we find out about it, the more we realize just how much it impacts our health. I guess what you're saying is that it's possible that for someone like myself who grew up with a different diet as an Asian American, I could have very different gut biomes than Joe Schmo here that maybe grew up in Europe. Or, or, you know, Western Europe, whatever it might be. And me going to Europe and eating the same diets may actually affect my gut biomes because of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah. That, and that's stuff that I'm learning. Like I just had a doctor on my podcast two weeks ago um, talking all about it. His new book, Fiber Fueled, is just like amazing. I've I have the book and I listen to the book on audio over and over again because it's all about that. And I've struggled with my own 
gut health um, from overuse of antibiotics, you know, not realizing, you know, doctors prescribing it a little too loosey-goosey and me being like, okay, great, because I'm prone to bronchitis and, um, and it took a toll on me. So I've spent the last four and a half years really diving deep in and trying to learn about it. And that's, yeah, the more I learn, it's, it's, it's all these different things come into play about and, and how quickly it can be impacted within like five days. If you flip flop your diet with that of, like I said, somebody in Africa or somewhere else, you will see the effects in your, in your gut bugs and your good gut bugs because it's not used to it. You've been doing over the past four or five years to, I guess, kind of re ingest or reset your gut biomes. I'm actually really curious. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really long process. It turned, it started with finding out that I had some pretty bad uh, food sensitivities, which probably came from the fact that I had taken uh, antibiotics too many times. And I'm not saying antibiotics are bad, by the way. When we absolutely need them, they're fantastic. But like I said, I think they're prescribed a little too often when it's not 100% sure that we need it. Um, but antibiotics don't just kill the bad bacteria. They kill everything, the good bacteria too. So you start to kill off bacteria in your body that it needs. So foods that I used to be able to eat all of a sudden, you know, give me gas, give me bloating. Um, it, it, it started to lead to this whole slew of health issues that I was having found out that that's what it was, that I had severe food sensitivities. So the first thing I needed to do was I had to remove those foods for a while just to get the inflammation to start to calm down. But from all of that, I was, even though I was eating extremely healthy, uh, all my blood work showed that I was basically malnourished because my body couldn't absorb any of the nutrients that I was eating. So it was really started. It was like, okay, first we have to remove the food that's causing all the inflammation for right now. And then it was like, okay, now we got to start to rebuild your gut biome. So uh, there's there's a lot of different ways, and I've experimented with it a lot over the years. Everything from adding in the prebiotics and the probiotics, uh, you know, definitely taking multivitamins because I had to get my B vitamins back and my iron and my zinc and all of that back. But really, what it's come down to, what where I'm at right now is the healthier I eat. The more whole foods I eat, the better I am. That's where I'm at. That's that's the best thing that I can do for myself is I don't overdo it on the highly processed foods because the highly processed foods that aren't really food can really wreak havoc on our gut bacteria as well. That's why I try to eat organic as much as possible because Lord only knows what the pesticides are doing to us as well. So it's all these things. And and it probably seems really overwhelming to hear it like that. And it can feel really overwhelming. Like sometimes, you know, I'm in it and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Like, again, it's this uphill battle. But it's like, okay, breathe. Let's take it one day at a time, Autumn. Let's take it one meal at a time. Like, what can we do at lunch to make it healthy? Let's just do that. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Are you do you also have kimchi at all or or sauerkraut? I love I yo oh yeah, I love kimchi, I love sauerkraut. I I love pickled vegetables, fermented. Yeah. yeah. Miso soup, I fermenting is great. It's great to know. I mean, I think I see people that have issues when they're drinking coffee these days too, and I wonder if that attributes to having like a very acidic body uh versus an alkaline body. Uh, just from being less careful in terms of what you're putting inside your body. Yeah. I, again, I'm not a doctor, but I would say yes, because I, I used to be able to drink coffee all the time. And now, same thing, I have a harder time drinking it. And I think it's because there's I'm always dancing a line of how alkalinized my body is. I'm, I'm always dancing a line of where am I at? So I don't drink coffee every day anymore. It's more like a weekend treat or things like that. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to have a cup today. But if I have it day after day for like three or four days, my stomach is on fire. It burns. It's like, it's no longer enjoyable because the after effect is so unpleasant. Oh man, goodness to you. Do you find that you're like kind of going up and down in terms of energy though, just because you're kind of used to having it every other day. But so when you don't have it, do you feel like a withdrawal sometimes? No, because I don't, I never drink that much coffee. Like I would drink a cup in the morning. It's more because I really enjoy the 
the taste of coffee. Like I'm not a foo-foo coffee drinker. There's not a lot in it. I used to drink my Americanos black, which is like a little bit of organic raw sugar in it. Um, so no, I'm, I'm pretty energetic regardless. I also use like, I use our performance line from Beachbody. So I use our Energize, which is a really awesome, um, source of caffeine. That's way better than some of these pre-workouts you would ever find in another market. So like, if I feel like I need, you know, like an extra kick. Well, I like having my energized before my workouts just for fun, but I don't need it. It's not, a, I am not the person who wakes up and I'm dragging. Like when I wake up in the morning, I am ready to go. I'm like, yes, I'm up. Let's go. Let's do this. And my energy is, you know, again, food is energy. That's really where our energy should come from. So my energy is very sustained. I think when I first stopped having coffee every single day, cause I used to drink it every morning. Um, I had caffeine headaches for a couple of days just because I was used to having it every morning. But, you know, drink a lot of water and it goes away pretty quick. Yeah. You don't seem like a person that needs coffee to stay energized and upbeat. I mean, were you always like that as a child or is that something you just developed as you started eating healthier and just really understood what goes inside your body? Oh, no, I've had it like the, it, there's a running joke in my family that I like shot out of the womb full of energy. <laughs> like my mom didn't even make it to the delivery room. I was born in the labor room. Um, I was my dad would tell me when I was a kid, he'd be like, oh, my God, you're so peaceful when you sleep. And I never totally understood that until I had my son, who's also a ball of energy. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I get it because he's literally doesn't stop moving until he passes out. <laughs> So that's pretty much been me my whole life too. But I do think a, food plays a huge part in that. And the fact that I exercise regularly most days of the week, a body in motion stays in motion. I'm fueled for my day. So it doesn't mean I don't get tired. Of course I get tired. And by the end of the day, I like I'm ready to collapse on the couch, but I don't need coffee at three o'clock to keep going like we'll wrap this interview and when we wrap i'm actually start filming my cooking show and i'll wow. film for the next five hours good for you that's insane yeah <laughs> well i mean maybe this might be hard for you to relate just because i know there's so many people that often have hard time just getting to the gym right they, they struggle being able to have that motivation to be able to get to the gym and oftentimes go to the gym, just getting to the gym is often the hardest part because once you're there, you're able to just kind of go through the motions and, and do what you need to do. Um, and it's this cycle, it seems, where someone that does not have the energy or the motivation to go to the gym or eat right, they get less, they get more drained and there's less motivation. Whereas someone that does go to the gym have more energy and they can motivate themselves to go again. So it's like this really positive cycle or this really negative cycle that you go through what's been this uh any strategies or tips for you for people that have trouble getting to the gym or working out because they're stuck at home because of corona and this these downturns that people are feeling these days yeah well first of all i mean the beauty is is that you don't have to go to a gym to work out anymore right like we have all these streaming apps that's where all my workout programs are they're on beach body on demand and i've helped hundreds of thousands if not millions of people get in great shape from the comfort of their own home with minimal equipment so it's not like you have to spend all this money to do it but it, it has to be a, a, a clear-cut decision because it is going to take a minute to get in the habit of it. That's kind of how my very first workout program with Beachbody came to be. It's called 21 Day Fix for a reason, because it takes 21 days to put a habit in motion. So that was the whole goal of that, was to get people up and get them moving every day for 21 days, just 30-minute workouts, and you start to develop that habit and that pattern. So look, we are at home. Go for a walk. Like It's still summertime. It's still nice outside. If that's, if that's what you have, the energy that you have in you, do that. That is better than doing nothing and getting that fresh air and that vitamin D and moving your body. All of that will give you motivation to do it again. We're under the impression that it's like, oh my God, I have to work out for an hour at a time every single day and it has to be so hard. And you can build up to that, but it doesn't have to start there. It could be five minutes. Like I said, like you could be like, okay, I'm at home. I'm going to do some jumping jacks then I'm going to do some high knees. And then maybe I'm going to do 10 pushups and I'm going to do some crunches there. You moved your body. Great. If that's day one, let that be day one. 
But eventually you do want to get into a plan. Like I said, I think that's why Beachbody is so great. Like we've got entry-level programs. Try 21-day fix. If you don't know where to start with nutrition, check out Ultimate Portion Fix. It's all about your mindset. Like that's the first half of my book is it's mindset. It's because we have to, if this isn't right, the body won't follow. If your brain is not in it, if your mind isn't in it, you're not going to do it. But once you set your mind to something, you're going to be unstoppable. But you have to go all in. You can't be like, I think maybe I kind of want to. I totally agree with you. Yeah. The the biggest shift for me that I realized, uh, it was advice from Rich. Are you familiar? Do you know Rich Roll by any chance? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had him on the podcast and he he was talking about this idea that you you are not your thoughts, meaning the thoughts that you have that are crawling, whether it's negative or positive, those, those aren't the, that's not your identity necessarily, especially when you have these negative thoughts and doubts that are coming through and you're sitting on the couch. And what he was saying is the, the focus should be to change your state first. Meaning if you're on the couch, your mood is going to obviously feel drowsy and negative and you're not going to be wanting to go to the gym. Whereas if you change your state, get up, do jumping jacks, as you mentioned, do push-ups and get your body into a state that feels energized, your mood is obviously going to change. And I think, I think, um, I think you're, you're totally right. I mean, I think the idea is like to get moving first. And your mood and motivation is going to follow. It's not the other way around. Autumn, I really appreciate you coming on. I don't want to take up too much of your time, obviously. But we do leave the audience here with one piece of small but actionable step that they can take once they get off the podcast. Something that can help them with their fitness, their their mental state, uh, their motivation. Anything small that they can do right after they finish listening to the episode. Uh, Do you have any tips for anyone out there? Yeah, I would say the best thing you can do is decide what the goal is. What is the goal? Like sit down with yourself, be silent, decide what the goal is, write it down and then write down just like three steps that you need to do to start moving in the direction of that goal. It doesn't need to be the the whole plan that's going to get you to the goal. It's what do I need? What can I do right now to move me one step closer to that goal and start there? And if you take it step by step and bit by bit, you will get there. So I think that's the best thing you can do. Decide on the goal, put a plan of action into place and stick with it. Beautiful. Adam Calabresi, make sure you guys go check out her book, Lose Weight Like Crazy, even if you have a crazy life. Where else can people find you online? Uh, You guys can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at autumncalabrese.com. All my screen handles are just my name, Autumn Calabrese. All right, guys, check the link below. We'll definitely link those out. Make sure you guys check out more about Autumn. Thank you guys for listening. Tune in next week. See you guys next time. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.